All right, so this morning I'm going to look for, uh, as we kick off, I want you to come up with one word. Okay, I'm going to give you some descriptions. I don't want to see how long it takes you to figure out what that one word is. Um, you might figure it out quickly. It might take you this entire time, but once you figure it out, kind of keep listening. So here it is. It, it's the one thing, so you're going to come up with one word in your head. This is the one thing that keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. It's the one thing that keeps you from initiating an apology, especially when you know that you're wrong. It's the thing that keeps you arguing your point, even after you realize your point's pretty lame, but you keep arguing it anyways, right? Has anybody ever done that? I mean, I'm just curious. Okay, a few of you have, right? You've done that. You know that. This is the one thing that keeps you from admitting that you've lost, keeps you from admitting your weaknesses. It keeps you from admitting, hey, I need help. It keeps us from admitting that we don't know what everybody else always knows. You know, we're doing something wrong, and everybody already knows that, you know, it's wrong, but we don't think it's wrong, and we, don't, we won't admit it, so we just kind of keep going down, and we keep sticking with it. It's what also causes you, it's what causes you to feel good when others fail. Now, you feel bad about feeling that way, but you still feel that way. It's what causes you to cheat before you lose. It's, it's what causes you to, you know, lie about your past. It causes you to have to have the final word. It causes you to buy things that will impress other people who, by the way, aren't even paying attention to you in the first place. Does anybody want to know what the one word is? Pride. Pride. Now, this isn't the pride that, that, you know, that when we're proud of our kids, okay? It's not that type, or we're proud of our job, or our church, or our ministry, or the hobby we do. You know, the Apostle Paul was proud and talked about it, but it was not the self-exalting type pride, but rather, his pride was focused on God's greatness and God's mercy. I'm talking about the pride, that, 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 that nasty thing inside of you, and that's inside of me that C.S. Lewis talked about in his book, Mere Christianity, where he said this. He said, unchastity, anger, greed, and drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. Because pride leads to every other vice. Here's the problem with pride. We don't see it in ourselves very easily. Now, we see it in others, and it's clear when we see pride in others, but inside of ourselves, it's hard to see it. If we could see it in the mirror more readily, we'd have to come to grips with the reality that people in our lives are victims of our pride. And because you and I don't tend to associate with pride with anything other than being overly arrogant, and most of us don't think we're overly arrogant, we kind of think, oh, I don't have a pride problem. But pride is insidious. Pride is damaging. It's ugly. And it resides in and it rests in every single one of us. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to try to figure out how to get rid of this pride. We're going to break up with pride. Now, I, without going into my own past relationships here, have you ever been in a relationship where you knew it wasn't good for you? Maybe you can think back, there was a time maybe, you know, in, I don't know, junior high or high school or college, and you stayed in a relationship, and it was hurting you, and it was hurting others around you, 
and you knew you needed to break up with that person, and, and again, you don't have to raise your hand here on this, but, but maybe you can think back to your own life or people you know, and you would look at them and you say, man, they really need to get out of that relationship. They really need to break up with that person. And maybe that was you, and you kept staying in it and staying in the relationship. But then when you finally did it, and you finally broke up with that individual, oh my goodness, your life got so much better. And all you needed to do was break up. We're going to talk about breaking up with this relationship that you and I all have with pride. Now let me give you a few words about pride as we kind of keep moving through this, and what I'm going to say right here for a few moments, it's not necessarily new information. In fact, I don't think it's new at all, but it's going to at least get us all on the same page together. And the first thing I want us to all understand is that pride diminishes us. Okay, pride diminishes us. We think pride might make us bigger and grander and, and, and better, but the reality is pride doesn't make us bigger. Pride makes us smaller. It actually diminishes us. Specifically, pride decreases our capacity you ever thought about that? It decreases our ability to admit what we need to admit. It decreases our capacity to acknowledge what we need to acknowledge, and it decreases our capacity to apologize when we need to apologize. Have you ever been in a fight with, uh, you know, your spouse or with somebody else, and you're in that argument, and you're just going and going and going, and the next thing you know, you stop and you pause and you realize you're fighting, and maybe one of you looks at each other and says, what caused this in the first place? What, what are we fighting about? And you realize all of a sudden, you don't even know why you're fighting anymore. You're just fighting. And now you're fighting for the sake of fighting. Have you ever had that? Anybody here? Okay, good. I was hoping it, was just, it wasn't just me and Heather. Of course you've had that. Why do you keep fighting? I'll tell you why. It's pride. Or maybe someone makes a point at work and and, and it's a great point, but you've been kind of holding firm on a specific angle or direction, and you can't acknowledge that they're right. You see, when it comes to pride, this is one of those things that's just extremely emotional for us. Like, there are layers upon layers upon layers of emotion when it comes to pride. And so it makes it difficult for us to do what we need to do. And so in that way, pride just diminishes us. It just makes us smaller. It's why you and I, we need to break up with pride. It's not a good relationship for us to be in. Pride also decreases our capacity to say what needs to be said. See, why is it so hard for some of us here? We just can't say those words. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You can't say to that person, I love you. You can't say to that person, you know what? That was amazing what you just did. I am so blown away by you doing that. You know you need to do it, but you can't. And maybe for some of us, is that we can't do that because whatever the circumstance or situation is, that you can't say what needs to be said because in your situation, you don't want them to feel like they have a leg up on you. And so there's something in us that we can't bring ourselves to say what we know we should say. Pride also decreases our capacity to hear what needs to be heard. Friends, family, bosses, advisors, 
They're trying to get through to us. But man, those words, they're just bouncing off. It's as if you can't hear what they're saying. Why? It's because pride is that powerful. Ultimately, though, ultimately pride diminishes our capacity to love. And that's where this gets really damaging. It diminishes our capacity to love, and it diminishes our capacity to receive love as well. So it almost goes without saying that pride essentially crowds others out of our lives. Here's the worst part. You don't even know what's happening. Or maybe you might know, but you don't realize how bad it is. Everybody else around you, they know. They know that you've had that diminished capacity to have that connection, to have that relationship with your spouse or your friend or your employees or your boss or those you work with or those you're interacting with in the activities. And other people see it, but you can't. Pride has the potential to crowd others out of our lives, and I'll just, we good? Pride is the capacity to crowd others out of our lives, but it also, even worse, has the capacity to crowd God out of our life as well. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. There's an important verse that talks about this. And it talks about the person who struggles with pride and how it affects their relationship with Almighty God. In Psalm chapter 10, and in verse 4, it simply says this. It says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Why is that? Because prideful people, they actually seek what they think is best for themselves. He says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for who? There is no room for God. In fact, in the Hebrew, this, actually, this verse actually means that in all of this person's thoughts, he's ascent, this verse essentially says, there is no God. In other words, there's this assumption that, hey, I'm kind of the center of my own universe, and there's no point in me moving out of the center of my universe because there's no God, you know, to fill the vacuum. Again, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, just a quick side note, and it's something that we don't have time to explore deeper today, but I want to kind of plant a seed in some of you this morning because pride has the potential to crowd God out. And it's possible for some who are here this morning, or for some you know, it's possible that your pride, not your intellect, is keeping you from God. I mean, seriously, I want you to think about this for a minute. Your real issue is not how smart or how intelligent you believe that you are. Your real issue is how prideful you are. In other words, the three or four reasons that you kind of just hold on to, that you kind of use this to, you know, these facts, these details, and they may be accurate and true, but you kind of use those to shut down God, to shut down religion, maybe to shut down any kind of religious conversations. The reality is, those who are in that place, they're being held captive by pride. They're being held hostage by pride. 
And they think it's their intellect, their intelligence that's keeping them from God. And it's not the case. It's pride. And of course, I'm not discounting intelligence or intellect. But for those who are in this place, they need to recognize it's time to break up with pride and come to Jesus. So the bottom line is pride, and we all know this, pride's a prison, right? Pride's a prison and it shuts us in and it shuts others out and it shuts God out. And the reality is this, I don't think there's a single person who would choose on purpose to shut themselves in and shut others out and God out. I don't think anyone here says, you know something? I want to have so much pride that nobody will feel close to me. Right? I don't think anybody's saying that. I don't think anybody's saying, you know what? I want to have so much pride. I want you to have such a huge dose of pride that, you know, my kids or my nieces or nephews or grandkids, they're always going to wonder, do I really love them? That's my goal. I want them to always be wondering. No, I don't think anybody would say that's their goal. But that's the result of unbridled pride. And the reason this is so true, it's just difficult to see pride in the mirror. So here's the great thing, and this is what I want to talk about today. And my guess is you probably haven't thought about this in this way before. But the invitation by Jesus to you and I, the invitation, we've talked about this idea of following Jesus. We've talked about that a lot this year, even did a whole series on it. The invitation by Jesus to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to break up with pride. To follow Jesus and to unfollow pride. And that invitation by Jesus, he did it in his teaching. And he did, and, and it's, he did it by modeling this, just this radical, liberating version. You ready for the word? Mark used it earlier. This liberating version of humility humility. And Jesus' approach to humility, that's the key for you and I. That's what's going to help us kind of unwind the pride that's wrapped itself around our lives. It's what's going to help us finally do what we know we need to do and to break up from this awful relationship that you and I have with pride. Intellectually, you and I, we all know what to do when it comes to this topic. I can tell you that right now. You could come up here and share this message, if you could stand in front of people. You know, you could come up and you could share this. Intellectually, you would have the knowledge, but it's that emotion in us. The layer upon layer of emotion, and so it's Jesus' radical approach to humility. That's going to help unlock the door of pride that, that's in our life. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20... Jesus is going to tell us a principle that we need to hold tight to as we think about unlocking pride from our life, as we think about breaking up with pride in our life. And in verse 26, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your, and what's the word Jesus uses? Must be your what? Servant. And that's not a word we necessarily use of ourselves today. But Jesus said, I want to redefine what greatness is. And greatness is defined by how well you serve others, not how well you are served. And that's not necessarily new to us, but you need to understand when Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, it was radical. 
Jesus, when he said this, was turning his world upside down. Greatness in God's eyes is measured in terms of service. Doing good to others. Doing good for others, even at our own expense. So when you and I, when we're overwhelmed by all of our emotion, when I'm overwhelmed by all my emotion, and I don't want to admit to my wife Heather, you know what, babe, you're right. When I don't want to say to her or to somebody else, you know, I'm sorry. When I don't want to take responsibility, when I'm in that space, and when you're in that space, that's when we need the Holy Spirit to remind us that Jesus says that greatness isn't defending who I think I am. It's not defending, you know, my point. Greatness is all about doing whatever I can to benefit others, to bless others, to help others, to serve others. And what I love about Jesus, he didn't just talk about it. He didn't just stand on a stage and preach before people and say, hey, go do this. I'll never do it. You go do it. No. Jesus modeled it. And back on October 23rd of 2016, we talked about this in detail, the passage in John 13. We're just going to go through it quickly this morning. Turn to John 13. John 13. I'd encourage you, in fact, to go back and listen to that message on October 23rd as kind of a refresher as we're talking about this topic. And it'll get a lot more specific on this specific area. And this is the story where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He said, I'm not just going to talk about serving others. I'm going to do it. And in verse 13, uh, John chapter 13, Jesus, who, by the way, is the greatest, he washes his disciples' feet. It's like when he chooses to do that, he's like, boom, take that pride. You're out of here. You're not going to be a part of us. So let's look at what Jesus said after he washes his disciples' feet. He says this in verse 14. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. In other words, Jesus is preparing them, saying, Hey, you guys are my servants. And I'm telling you to do something here. I want to remind you, lest you think, oh, I can never do that. No, 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 you're not greater than me, and I've done, just done this. So he says, verse 17, now that you know these things, now that I've told you all about this, now that I've talked about it, now that I've modeled it for you, you will be blessed if you do them. To use our language this morning, do this, and it will break the power of pride in you. Do this, and that will be the key for you and I to break up with pride. I'm telling you, Jesus, when he did this, when he talked about all this, he introduced a pro, a, an approach to humility that was radical, that broke through the layer upon layer of emotion that imprisons you and I, that holds us back, that keeps us locked into ourselves, and keeps us locked out of great connections and great relationships with others and with God himself. But of all that Jesus did, the most significant thing he did, where he demonstrated what it was like to humble himself, to be a servant, the pinnacle, the epicenter, the aha moment, the are you kidding me type event, was that Jesus initiated reconciliation. You see, when it comes to relationships with God and with others, we have that separation. 
that divide, that gap. And for some of you, it's huge. For others, it's just a small little chink, but it's still there in the armor. And Jesus said, man, I'm all about reconciliation. So he initiated reconciliation. It's very difficult for you and I to initiate reconciliation. You see that all the way back when you're little kids. I can remember when Kobe and Cameron were just real little. And they'd get in a big argument and a big fight or something. And, and they'd both try to explain why the other person was wrong. Right? And the older one, Kobe, he's trying to do that, and he's older, so he just kind of has, you know, sometimes the, the older is just feels like they have more authority in the situation. But some of you, if you know Cam, he's not in here right now. I can say this. Cam is just like, he won't back down, and he can say anything, and he can get out argue anybody. And so they're going at it. And I finally say, that's it. We're done. It's time for you to tell each other. One, go. One of you say, I love you, brother. That's what I used to do. I say it. I want you to say it. Now, if you've ever been in a, some people here have been in a small group with me over the years. People have talked to me about one of the things they think is kind of hilarious with me in a small group. I'll ask a question. And I'll just sit there. I don't care if there's ten minutes of silence. And over the years, there's been ten minutes of silence. I'm just trying to see who's going to finally initiate. So same with my boys. You tell each other, "I love you." Somebody go first. You just sit there. And as kids, they, just, they're, they're, they don't budge. And they just sit there. And the only thing that ever causes one of them to initiate, it's never because they're trying to set aside pride and try to do the right thing. You know what it always is? One of them has something they want to go do. So like, fine, uh, fine I love you, brother, and they want to get out of there. Because if they didn't have anything to do, they'd sit there forever. That's little kids. Pride starts when we're little. And you and I, as we get older, we perfect it. We get better at it. You see why we need to break up with this thing called pride? We need to initiate. That's the step Jesus took. Pride says, wait, wait, wait. Jesus says, don't wait. I want you to initiate. In fact, think about Jesus' story. He says, I'm guiltless. I've done nothing wrong. No sin whatsoever in me. I was willing to leave heaven knowing the way I would be treated. But I'm going to leave heaven anyways. I'm going to initiate. So Jesus invites you and I. Don't wait any longer. Initiate. Can you imagine if you approach your relationships this way? I mean, think about that. If you just said, I I'm going to initiate, I'm going to break up with pride, I'm going to take the first set step. Let me ask you, is it possible that more of your circumstances, situations, relationships, whatever the case may be, more of them could have been healed or mended quicker, better, faster, if that was your approach to initiate? Oh yeah, you better believe it. That relationship could have been mended, restored, reconciled, saved if I would have initiated quicker. Now there's, certain, you know, sin is sin and some people are pretty dang evil and sinful and stubborn. And so it's not a guarantee in every relationship, but for the most part, for 99% of us, if we would initiate and do that early, God does a miracle and mends and restores 
and reconciliation begins to take place. For the most part, if you would initiate, your kids, your spouse, your parents, your co-workers, your friends, they'd all be better off. Why? Because those who say, I'm going to initiate, just like Jesus did, that breaks you through the layer upon layer upon layer of emotion that just keeps you from asking what needs to be asked, from saying what needs to be said, and approaching people that need to be approached. That was Jesus. Years later, Paul addressed this. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul, you know, years and years later, he's looking back at Jesus and what Jesus did and who Jesus was and how Jesus initiated, how Jesus talked about it. And Paul's been, you know, planning churches. So he's been in the midst of relationship. Like he became a pro at relationships. And and I want you to notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And he says this, he says, in your relation, verse 5, in your relationships. Now, now this is so convicting. But what if we just did this? I mean, I want you to really think about this. What if we did this? In your relationships with one another. You know, like the people you live with, that you work with, that you go to church with, that you see at the fields. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, have the same approach to life. Take the same tact. Have the same mindsets as as Jesus. In other words, do what Jesus did. And then a couple verses later, he dives deeper describing it. What did he do? Philippians 2.7. Here's what Jesus did. Here's his mindset. Here's how he acted. It says this, that he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And there it is again. How can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? Whoa, 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 wait a second. Serve them? But Chris, you don't understand. They owe me an apology. I know. See, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, that means you have Jesus' attitude. And Jesus' attitude is that you initiate, you initiate, you humbly serve. Because you know that pride if it's just in you and it is allowed to resonate and fester and grow, it's going to keep you in. It's going to keep others out. It's going to keep God out. And man, haven't you figured out yet that doesn't work? It never leads anywhere good. How, 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 how can I serve them? Okay, I get that for, you know, most people, but that person, they're my enemy. I know Jesus talked about that too. He said in Matthew 5, verse 44, he said, love your enemies. See, a Jesus follower says, how can I serve others, no matter who they are, as Jesus served me? I don't know if you're catching it, but it's pretty radical. It's life-changing. And it's a radical approach, but it's the only way for us to break up with pride to display the utmost of humility. Paul goes on speaking about Jesus. Look at verse 7, Philippians 2. He says this, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. By the way, this is one of the most powerful theological verses in all the Bible. This whole section is. But more than theology, it shows the complete absence of pride in Jesus. 
Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man. And here's our word. What did he do? He what himself? He humbled himself. He made Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, he made a decision to put himself under those whom he had no business putting himself under. I'm telling you guys, this is mind-bending humility. And how far did he go? How far did he take it? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And not just any kind of death, but even death on a cross. In other words, the worst kind. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, the worst kind of death imaginable. And all Jesus wants you to do is apologize. And all Jesus wants you to do is write the letter. All Jesus wants you to do is initiate. All Jesus wants you to do is keep quiet. All Jesus wants you to do is to say, yes, dear. New context. I understand. All he wants you to do is walk up to your son and say, man, I am so proud of you. All he wants you to do is walk up to your daughter and say, honey, I love you so much. You want to go to a baseball game, but your son doesn't play baseball. He plays the cello. Just to kind of make a two exaggeration, two, two opposite ends, I guess. You're not thrilled about the fact that he plays the cello. And all Jesus who died for you, all he wants you to do is go to your son's recital and sit on the front seat in the front row and just cheer him on. Yeah, but Chris, I, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, you just don't understand the significance of what your Savior did for you. You don't understand the power of humility. You don't understand what it means to truly break up with pride. And if you're, you're not a, sa a Christian yet and you're not saved yet and he's not your Savior, then you don't understand the kind of humility we're talking about today. But if you'll initiate, if you'll go there, if you'll humble yourself and go, if you'll humble yourself and do, or to say, or to stop, whatever it is for you, if you'll break the power of pride in your life, if you will initiate, if you will do that, I can guarantee you, you will never miss that relationship. You won't. If you can break up with pride and have it be a distant relationship in the mirror of your life, your life will be far better and those around you will be far better. Your relationship with God will be better. You know, Jesus went pretty far. He went all the way to his humility, was all the way to death. And very few of us are being, if any of us, are being asked to go that far. So he looks at you, he looks at me and says, I want you to follow me. And following me means you follow my example. So yeah, you do die. Die to yourself. Die to your pride. And humble yourself. Why would anybody stay in a relationship with pride? Why would you stay in that relationship that's ruining you? And ruining those around you. It's just controlling you. It's got its teeth in you. And it's controlling you, not necessarily through your intellect or your intelligence, 
but through those deeper emotions. Because your emotions, they, in whatever the situation or circumstance it is, it sends your brain this message that says, hey, brain, find a reason for not apologizing right now because how they just made you feel, you shouldn't apologize. And so it's all the emotional thing that gets you there. Do you really want pride to control the rest of your life? Do you really want pride to continue to drive a wedge into what's happening in that key relationship or relationships you have with a spouse, with a coworker, with a family member, with a friend? Pride doesn't have to be your master, so I say break up with it. Break up with it. Jesus invites you to just embrace radical humility. Now, before we walk away, I just want you to ask yourself a couple questions this, this week. First question is this, is how does pride manifest itself in me? How does pride manifest itself in me? Again, it's hard to see in the mirror, so guess what? Best thing to do is go ask somebody else. They already got a long list. They really do. But remember, the tur- you know, tides are going to turn. You do it to each other. You got to call it out. You got to shut it down. How does pride manifest itself in you? Here's a little more difficult question, a little more probing. How does pride disguise itself in you? How does it disguise itself? Maybe, you know, it's something like confidence, and you're like, oh, I'm just super confident. Are you sure, really? Are you sure it's not pride, and the reality is you're arrogant? So how does it disguise itself? Maybe it's disguised in what you call your intelligence, your intellect, or your common sense. But the reality is that's just a whole bunch of pride. Maybe it disguises itself in, you know, you're like, I'm committed to excellence. No, all those things are wonderful, but maybe hiding behind that is really pride. Final question. How much longer? How much longer are you going to stay in this awful relationship with pride? A month? A year? The rest of your life? Man, wouldn't you want, don't you want to break up with it? Get away from it? Wouldn't you like to be able to know, here it comes, creeping in again. No way, pride, you're not going to be my master. You're not my boss. I'm absolutely breaking up with you. I'm moving on. Watch this, pride, and you walk over and you say, I'm sorry. Watch this, pride, and you walk over and say, I love you so much. I appreciate you just how you are. Would you be willing to take those steps? I'm not going to stay in this relationship of pride anymore. So what does it look like for you? Apologize? Why keep suffering in those relationships that are most important to you? Is it a compliment you need to to do? Writing a thank you note to somebody? Being, you know, early to something? Listening and keeping your mouth shut? Is it saying, I'm going to stop arguing, I'm going to stop being passive-aggressive, I'm going to remove the I'm entitled to from my vocabulary. Maybe some of us, pride is the reason we, you know, we have a drinking problem and we can't admit it, so maybe you admit, I got a drinking problem, I got a substance problem, I got this problem. You admit whatever it is and you're going to break up with it. Maybe for some of you it's like, hey, I just, I got to admit I can't keep up. I'm pretending like I have it all together, but I'm so far behind. For some of you, it's, you know, I I attend our next steps class that's coming up. 
And I know, no, I'm just going to church and I'm just sitting and that's all I'm going to do. And I've been this before and this happened in my last place. And you're like, nope, I'm just going to listen and get out of here. Maybe for some of you, it's like pride standing in the way of you taking your next steps with the church. Maybe for some of you, pride is keeping you from joining a life group. We have signups today for life groups. And some of you are like, no, did it before, done it, not going to do it again. Not going down that path before, again. I've done that before. Some of you are like, you're clinging to that. You're holding on to the pride. But let me ask you this. Is your pride keeping you from coming to Jesus? Pride was the, you know, the one, number one sin of the devil. Some of you here this morning, it's like, it's time. You know enough. You've been coming. You've been hearing. You know it's, hey, give my life to Jesus. Surrender my life to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, you're the leader of my life, and I need to be forgiven of my sins. And some of you, today's your day. Some of you, you've given your life to Christ, but you know what? You've never been baptized. Never been baptized. You've never taken that. Well, I, you know, when I was an infant, okay, that, you were dedicated by your parents to the Lord. Praise God for that. And that's exciting. We did that last week. Second service, they were like lined up wall to wall. It was crazy. And, you know, babies were crying all over the place and all. No. Maybe you've been dedicated to the Lord, but you've never taken the step. And you've been, ah, I've been a Christian too long. Oh, I'm a leader. I'm this. I'm. If you've given your life to Christ after that, have you been immersed in water? Why? Because Jesus said to do it. And is pride holding you back? Are you ready to break up with pride? Are you ready to break through those emotions? Are you ready to get out of that horrible relationship. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to invite you this morning to break up with pride and invite Jesus into your life to be your leader, to be the boss of your life, to, to be the Lord of your life. And it's not even, you know, exactly how you ask Him in. It's more that you mean it in your heart. Would you pray with me if that's you and you say, I'm ready, Jesus, I'm ready to break up with pride and I'm ready to enter into a relationship with you. Would you just say something like this? Jesus, I come to you now. You are the most important person in my life and I choose right now to enter into a relationship with you. So I'm breaking up with my pride. I'm surrendering my life to you as best as I know how. I lay my life before you. Come into my life and be my leader. Be my Lord. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me of my sins. And thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for this new life I have in you in Jesus' name. God, I pray that your kingdom just grew right here, right now. And God, for those of us who've been Christ followers, who've just kind of danced around with this relationship and we've needed to get out of it, I pray today, God, that a whole lot of people moved a whole lot closer to you and a whole lot further from this relationship called pride. Heavenly Father, right now, we also come right now to give you our offerings. Use these for your glory. In Jesus' name.